0: It's our prospects episode. Former FSWA Baseball Writer of the Year, Eric Cross, joins us to talk all about rookies and prospects, strategy of drafting them preseason, cost-benefit analysis, pans and busts, and the prospects that you need to know for this year and for 2024. That's all coming up next on Beat the Shift. And welcome to another episode of the Beat the Ship Podcast. I am your host, Ariel Cohen, and with me, as always, is Ruvain Guy. How are you, Ruvain?
1: I'm doing great. How are you doing today?
0: I'm doing great. Happy Tuesday to you. We usually record a little bit later in the week, but, uh, Ruben, I know you're going in the Mech game, and today, though, happened to be your birthday. Happy birthday, buddy.
1: Thank you, thank you. I, I turned 22 again for the uh, 20-something time, yeah.
0: Nice, nice. Do anything fun?
1: Uh, Not really. Um, I I actually took the day off because I had to drive my son to camp, but otherwise everything is hunky-dory.
0: All right. Sounds good. Well, we've got a great show today. Uh, We are not, as you might know, we aren't the biggest prospect guys, but prospects are important in baseball, and we thought we would bring on one of the best writers and people out there with prospects. Uh, You know him. He writes for baller, among other things. He, former FSWA Baseball Writer of the Year. He plays in, I think, half my leagues. I think he's in three leagues with me. Eric Cross, welcome to the show,
2: Eric. Yeah, thanks for having me. It is kind of funny. I think we were we were talking about this you know, a few months back when I think you were the one that mentioned it to me, that we were in a lot of the same leagues together. And, yeah, I think it's like three or four leagues this year. So pretty crazy so far this year. But thanks for having me on.
0: Yeah, I think I'm beating you in two of them. And one of them uh, in GDD, the one that I'm doing with Derek Cardi is about the worst league I've ever, ever participated in. (laughs) I am like in second to last. Everything has gone wrong. A thousand injuries. Alec Manoa, uh, the Urias. You you name it. Uh, You name a guy who's injured, he's on our team, and it's just so embarrassing. But uh, otherwise, I'm I'm doing all right in leagues. How are you doing in your other leagues?
2: Uh, You know, it's a bit of mixed bag this year. Some of my my best ball and dc teams haven't been doing the greatest but uh, i'm currently leading the um highlander dynasty invitational the one that's uh, as you know jesse roche and uh james anderson and you know jeff ponce chris clegg bunch of people are in that one Um uh, some currently leading that's uh you know m- middle of the pack in gdd right now i think I, was, I think i'm in fifth right now out of 15 so actually you know, not too bad but my hitting has just not been there but you know, hopefully some of these young guys that we are you know going to talk about today could help give me a nice little boost on the second half of the season yeah and uh, Ruven,
0: you're doing pretty good in GDD. I think you're in second
1: I, I am in second so far I've limited the injuries I don't know how that's possible but I, I suffered <laughs> the uh, Cedric Mullins injury which got a lot of the Orioles prospects up as it is Um, and Mullins is back I, I you know I weathered the storm and I somehow still in second place but there's one team is just running away with it and that's I don't think anyone's going to catch them.
0: All right, so we'll talk names. We'll also talk strategy, as always. So before we, you know, get into it, I just want to throw out there, you know, in the middle, of, in the beginning of the season, everyone drafted a bunch of rookies or prospects. Let's just let's just take stock of which ones have actually panned out. Like, you know, let's actually go through a couple of names and say, hey, okay, that guy panned out. That guy didn't. Like, for example, if I said Corbin Carroll, you would all say, yeah, that guy panned out. <laughs> Um, Ali Rutschman, I think that's a pretty, pretty much of a yes, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Gabriel Moreno? ah,
1: uh,
2: not, I no. mean, I I wouldn't say he's been terrible, but I wouldn't say he's worked out either. It's been kind of underwhelming, I think is the best way to describe his season, you know, especially with the power he showed in spring training that we were all hoping would come, just kind of disappeared, went back into hiding once the regular season started, so... I guess I would lean towards him not panning out.
0: Yeah, another catcher. Logo don't hoppy is a no, but that's more because of injury than anything else. Um, Let's see who else. Uh, Anthony Volpe, I guess it's a yes.
2: Yeah, he's an interest. I'm actually writing him up uh, for an article coming out tomorrow on uh, um, FTN. It's like you, you look, it's a mixed bag with him. Like, yeah, okay, 10 home runs, 15 steals. so Boom, he's right on like a 20, 30 pace. So you think, yeah, that's absolutely a win. But at the same time, he also is hitting 195 and with you know a K rate that keeps rising by the week. So uh, I don't know. I think there's still a chance he could be down AAA at some point this season if he doesn't kind of get it going to the plate. But can't be overly you know too mad with 10 home runs and 15 steals, though. I mean, still helping you there, at least.
1: Well, the Yankees did give him a boost of confidence. They said he's their starting shortstop, so he's still going to get the playing time. And it's those stolen bases that really got him going early in the year. The power is coming, but, I mean, he, his contact rate is not that great right now. Um, as long as he's getting playing time, and that's with all prospects, as long as they're getting playing time and they can produce a 10-15, I don't, I don't really care if they're batting 200. You can make up the batting average elsewhere in your roster. I think those are still rosterable, very rosterable, and very playable for almost every week.
0: Yeah, it also depends on the format. In roto, Volpe with the stolen bases help, and a points league, not much, right? With the strikeout rate and 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 yep. steals matter less. So it does does depend on the format, fantasy wise. Uh, like take Yuri Perez, I I kind of think of a yes in almost every format. There's so many steals, right?
2: Oh yeah, Wait, Yuri Perez, Estre Ruiz. I'm
0: sorry. <laughs> 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 I have him back to back in my list here. Yes, uh, Estery Ruiz. We'll talk about Perez in a second, but yes, Estery Ruiz. Uh, he, I mean, so many steals in Roto. It's a slam dunk. But I think even in points leagues, just the pure volume of that, he's getting on. Also,
2: yeah, I mean, the it's it's not like he's been like impactful in in steals. He's been like abs a dynamic, like a, a league winner in that category where. Uh, is he? How much is he up to forty steals? I know he was like in the upper thirties last time I checked. So, like it's it's him, and then Acuna is like seven eight behind him. That's another like drop down, like another seven eight drop down to third place. But yeah, on pace for I think seventy five or so steals, seventy five to eighty steals right now. And yeah, he's not really doing too much in terms of you know contributions with the stick. But hey, like you mentioned, that that speed absolutely is impactful, and and roto leagues, it's gonna do a lot of good for you.
0: Yeah, he's not quite at forty he's at thirty nine but he'll get there any day uh no power at all. We knew that, but he's batting about two sixty so you know that yeah. that's not that's not really killing you you're you're getting more than what you wanted out of him, especially in the stone base category. Um, we'll talk about the pitcher later, but to, to fill out the other hitters, uh, Yoshida on the Red Sox, not exactly a rookie prospect, uh, but he's a rookie for the league. I have to say that's that's a yes. And projections were all over the place on Yoshida, but uh, the Red Sox, I think, seem to have found uh, a, a net accretive asset, right?
2: Yeah, no, absolutely, and yeah, I think everyone knew that the you know obviously that the, the contact skills and the on base ability that you know the approach was good. I, I think nobody questioned that. It was kind of where would the power end up, and it's been up and down a little bit in that regard. But you, overall, he's got eight home runs right now as we approach the halfway mark. You know, hard hit rate about forty three and a half percent. So I think you're, I think you're getting what he was advertised as. You guy that's going to be good on base, give you a good amount of runs. And maybe gives you 15 to 20 home runs and a handful of steals. And that's exactly what he's doing so far. So, yeah, I'd I say I'd call that a win. Yeah.
0: Uh, any, anyone else? Any, any other hitters I'm missing?
1: Yeah. What about the two rookies on the Mets, Francisco Alvarez oh, yes, and Brett yes. Beatty? Those two guys, I mean, it seems like if they would get more consistent playing time, they'd probably be a little bit better. What's your thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, no, Alvarez has definitely kind of turned it on over the last month or so, in the, in the power department. Yeah, he's only hitting 220. But he's got the 12 home runs and just 186 plate appearances. But, you know, after seeing him several times back when he was in A and really digging into the profile more, it's kind of what I thought he was going to be. I mean, I, mean I, th- I did expect a little bit higher than a 220 average, I'll, I'll admit that, and higher than a 274 OBP. But, you know, the power absolutely is there. I thought he'd be like a 25-30 home run guy uh, as a catcher, which is obviously very good. Uh, but did, did question where the average ended up. So, you know, did start a little slow as come on of, of late. And again, really started cranking out those home runs. Uh, now has 13 overall in his first to appearances as a pro. So definitely encouraged there. And, and Beatty kind of as Alvarez came on, Beatty kind of um, fell off a bit. And I, I still have, you know, I still like Beatty. And uh, this guy I've seen a lot uh, in person, both out in the Arizona Fall League, where we got the first pitch. And uh, in in his time here in AA, just kind of been underwhelming, but still hits the ball fairly hard, you know, 48.5% hard hit rate. He's increased his walk rate this year, which is also encouraging. So he's a guy where, you know, you look at the overall numbers right now and nothing at all really stands out at you. But I still have some, like, the, the ingredients are still there for a pretty solid hitter.
0: Yeah. Going over to the pitching side, a guy that I was on earlier in the year, Gavin Stone, ooh, nope. Tanner Bybee, he was not drafted. He was came on pretty early. I guess that's a win, right? Yeah. Yeah, I'd yeah. I'd call Bybee a win. Yeah. Yeah. Matthew Libertor, that was a big no. Louis Varland, I guess he got you something in the middle of the season.
2: Yeah, no, he he was good for like a handful of starts. and Then the last uh, you know, the last several have been a, a bit rougher, but uh, you know, rookie pitcher kind of what do you expect up and down, but yeah, he, he's had some good starts in there.
0: Yuri Perez has got to be the number one rookie pitcher, right? That that's that's the slam dunk one that uh, a lot of people even drafted.
2: Yeah, it, it's it's almost not fair what he's doing. Like this guy just turned twenty in April. Like he he'll he'll be the entire season twenty years old in the major leagues and doing what he's doing now, like a one thirty four ERA in nine starts, zero nine eight WHIP. You know, o- over a twenty percent K minus walk rate. Like this guy's just dotting ninety eight on the outside corner the all all the secondaries are are filthy the slider the curve the change all dominant pitches all with rates above 40% all have a batting average against under 150 it's it's just not fair like he is so good like i i was putting out more so on the on the dynasty side but kind of to do like a heat check of sorts see where people were valuing him for like long term and uh, the only two two pitchers that won the poll against yuri were Spencer Strider and Shane McClanahan. Like he was, you know, higher than Garrett Cole, Corbin Burns, Zach Gallen. You know, all those other names that are kind of in that range. So, yeah, it's it's incredible to see what he's doing. But uh, I, it's it's legit. Like this guy is going to be, you know, a fantasy ace for years to come.
0: Do you think that the Marlins and you know, I guess you can throw in maybe the Indians. uh oh, sorry, Indians. <laughs> I'm still in that mode. Uh, Guardians. Um, I guess the Rays, Twins. You can throw in the ones that are developing the pitchers really well, like, you know, we, we've, we've seen this uh, uh, from the Marlins. They're just bringing up pitcher after pitcher. Uh, do you think the organization plays such a big role in this?
2: I do. And that's, that's something that, you know, as I've you know, gotten more and more experience with, with you know, kind of analyzing prospects and younger players, I have valued that more and more in, into my own analysis and into my own articles and rankings and, and so on and so forth is you, you do see, you know, there's certain organizations that either develop hitters or pitchers well or both or, or not, you know, like for instance, on the other side of it, you can go like the Oakland athletics have not done a great job developing hitters, you know, over the years. Uh, The Cubs have not done a great job developing pitchers, so on and so forth. But when you look on the the good side, yeah, the Marlins for pitching, absolutely Marlins, Rays, Dodgers, uh, the Brewers uh, are kind of a sneaky one as well. But, yeah, Miami, absolutely. You know, you've know, you seen so many good pitching prospects. they still got more in the pipeline, too, which is which is funny. they still got a few more that are going to come up over the next couple of years. So maybe they end up trading some of these guys for hitters. But, yeah, it definitely gives you more confidence, especially when it's those close decisions. Like when you're picking player A or player B, You know, maybe player A is in a great org, player B you know, in an org that doesn't have a great track record. Kind of helps you, you know, make your decision, so to speak. But yeah, that's definitely something that I've, I've really valued more and more over the years.
1: What about the, the Orioles? I mean, the Orioles—they don't have any stud pitchers either. What do you make of Grayson Rodriguez? I mean, he was not good. He was sent down. What's going on with him?
2: I think it with with Grayson Rodriguez. I, I think it's you know he had the, the injury last year, and I think he was still trying to get, get back to himself. Like you know, the pitch pitcher we saw early, you know, in spring early in the season. Didn't quite look like he was still, you know, good stuff, you know, but didn't look like the Rodriguez that we saw, you know, in 2021, 2022. That was, you know, arguably the best pitching prospect in the game, or at least, you know, top three, top five, you know, regardless of what site you looked at. But you're seeing him start to get back to that. Like, command is getting back to where it used to be. Like, he's slowly getting back there as he gets further and further removed from the injury, gets closer to 100%. And I think you're gonna see him. Like he's looked better in Triple A. since he got sent back down, had back-to-back a double-digit strikeout. You know the velocity's ticking up. The the pitch, his pitches look crisper. He's locating better. So I think it was more so, you know, not necessarily a product of Baltimore. Because Baltimore, I actually think is uh, a very good player development organization. Yes, more so on the hitting side, pitching side. you still got to, you know. Will Will Rodriguez pan out? D. L. Hall, another one, big one for them that has a lot of command and control issues. Well, we shall see uh, in those two guys, but uh, I think it's with Rodriguez it's getting back to uh, kind of what made him so good before the injury get back to, get back to the basics, and I think he's going to be fine moving forward. Mentioning Rodriguez, there
0: did, did I miss any of the uh, pitching prospects that came up this year?
1: Yeah, you missed uh, Hunter Brown. I think he's done. I, I don't know if you count him as a, as a prospect anymore. I don't know if he graduated or not. And you can also mention uh, Kodai Senga, similar to um, um, Yoshida coming over. Senga is technically a is technically a rookie, and he's shown some flashes, but not 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 really not not much consistency. He's pitching much better at home. His splits are crazy. He's pitching much better at home than he is on the road.
0: So uh, a couple things to think about. Hitters versus pitchers. Do you think, Eric, that um, the pitchers pan out less frequently than hitters? I mean, I know that's true, but do you think – let's add something to that. Do you think that um, pitchers pan out in more of a long-term way and hitters appear more short-term? Or do you think that, oh, it's – it's you know, it, there's still a learning curve – Some. Some prospects pan out right away. Some prospects take long. Do you think there's a difference pitcher versus hitter in terms of time that they really start getting to their full potential in majors?
2: I do, and we've kind of seen that a lot over over the you know last handful of years that pitchers take a little bit longer. It's like they're the, the late bloomers, so to speak, you know, and that, that's why, you know, and obviously there's exception to every role. Look, look at Yuri, Yuri Perez, for instance. He's absolutely dominating out of the gate. But for the most part, we, we have seen a lot of these, even the, the morally more highly touted pro- pitching prospects, you know, struggle a bit out of the gate. And some of the ones that weren't so highly touted, you know, have excelled out of the gate. But um, you see these pitchers, you know, second, third year start to really come into their own. I mean, I mean, look at, you know, even a guy like Garrett Cole, who was one of the top pitching prospects in all baseball way you know, way back in the day at this point, in his first couple of years in Pittsburgh, you know, yeah, he wasn't terrible, but, you know, he was kind of, you know, not great, didn't come, you know, live up to his potential. And then that third, fourth year, he's really started coming to his own. And obviously he's been one of the best pitchers in baseball for, you know, basically the last decade or so now uh, at this point. So, yeah, I do think hitters pan out, you know, a little more consistently then then pitchers you still get you know your great guys like Yuri Perez and obviously we've seen a lot of those guys on the hitting side too but i feel like the hit rate so to speak for hitting prospects especially initially after they they debut is a bit higher
0: do, do you think that the uh hitting prospects that have more of a uh more of a speed uh, ability Pan out more than the ones that have power. I mean, obviously, the case uh, we have Estery uh, Reeves this year, who's just obviously on fire. Do you think that the 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 ones who showcase their speed have a higher percentage chance to actually hit the ground running than the power ones?
2: You know, this was a you know, this is one that I went back and forth on a lot after after I saw you uh, it, on the the outline that you sent over to me. This is one that I, I really thought about a lot because I, I don't think there's a cut and dry answer to this question. Because I think a lot of it for, for both, you know, power prospects and speed prospects depends on you know the hit tool and, and how much content they can make if they can keep their strikeout rate in check. Uh, so, so I think that is like the real X factor, and we've seen a lot of guys that you know they could be the flashiest player you've ever seen, whether it be you know power, speed, or some combination of the two. But if they if the hit tool isn't there. I've seen so many power speed guys, whether it's in the major leagues or if they fizzle out in like double A or something like that. You know, that it just limits them. And you know, then we see these guys that aren't flashy, they are the boring guys. But you know, like like Luis Arias, like no one's ever gonna say that's a sexy you know player, sexy fantasy player. But obviously, he's been hitting near four hundred the entire year. And oh, 400 hit...
0: is sexy. That doesn't get any sexier than that. It, it, it
2: <laughs> does. I, I will give you that. But you know, at the same time, he doesn't have – he's not going to hit 30 home runs, steal 30 bags, anything like that. So, yeah, I think these guys that – and that's another thing that I've you know valued more and more in my rankings over the years is, you know, these guys that have the hit tool that have shown that, all right, they're going to put the ball in play. You know, and maybe they won't be, you know, huge power speed guys, but – they're going to be, you know, staying in the lineup. They're not going to go through as many peaks and valleys as a lot of these other young players have. And those are the guys that are, you're going to pan out and have pretty productive careers. So that's the part that I, I've been valuing more. So, yeah,
1: and I want I wanted to ask based on what you've seen this year on the rookies and 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 how they're touted, whether they're speed guys, power guys. Do you think that the minor league system has completely recovered from the missed year of the COVID year, or do you think we're finally, you know, we're finally seeing the the full recovery and and and, and there are no you know no no um, minor leaguer is being left behind at this point.
2: I think we mostly are. Uh, I th- I think some of the guys that like the so- uh, international guys that signed like right before that are still kind of playing a little bit of catch up. But at this point, I, I think we are. Pretty much out of there. I guess some of the the older college guys got, that got drafted in twenty twenty are, are also kind of a little bit behind schedule. But even those guys, like Hessen Kierstad from Baltimore, great example of that. Number two overall pick in that twenty twenty draft class, you know, he's he's up in AAA now, approaching the major league. So I I do think you know obviously it took a, took a few years as we kind of knew it would, but I, I do think that we've kind of mostly I was like ninety five percent put that missed COVID year in the rearview, which which is nice to see.
0: You know, Ruvein always asks this to me, and uh, <laughs> he believes, or you tell me if you believe in the sophomore slump, that, uh, you know, you have a good, good uh, prospect, does well in the first year, and all of a sudden doesn't do well in the second year, and... You know, A. Do you believe that? And B. Is that if if it happens to be true, do you is that a product of uh, just the league figuring out the player, or is that a product of regression? You know, if somebody overperforms in the first year, well, he's likely to regress in the second year. Um, what's your take on sophomore slump?
2: I don't believe in it more uh, really these days. In the past, sure. I think that's kind of a thing of the past now. I do think there there's absolutely adjustment periods on both sides. You know, and I think there's always going to be two separate adjustment periods for any young player whether it's hitter pitcher doesn't matter. Uh any cuz once they come up the league has to adjust to them. You know, cuz you know with, with a pitcher like all right, they have, haven't seen this guy's stuff before. So he could start really hot out of the gate and then all you know obviously we have endless amount of data and um, analytical stuff that at our, you know these teams disposals, that they can make those adjustments so quick It doesn't have to be film study in the offseason to be like oh hey maybe we should you know ad- approach you know this guy like this or attack this guy like this you know that's something they can do like between innings you know like so the next at bat they can have a whole different you know approach versus the pitcher or versus the hitter so there's always that first adjustment period where the league adjusts to the player and then that needs that that second one needs to be all right. The player needs to adjust back, and then once both those adjustment periods have happened, all right, then we see what is this player going going to be moving forward after those two periods have happened. So, and again, that's happening sooner and sooner these days. So, I mean, I guess yeah, the sophomore slump was the term that was kind of coined to uh, this, describe this, but this this is happening you know month to month in in a player's rookie season, and, and we've seen that with with a, plenty of players now. So, uh, I, can, I I kind of think that's where the uh, the game's going.
1: And I'm glad he's mentioned the month to month because if you look at Francisco Alvarez, I'm I'm a Met fan, so I'm watching this stuff. Alvarez, April, he batted 194 with one homer. May two ninety two seven homers. June one sixty four with four homers. So you can see them. Every, everyone's adjusting so much more just because there's so much information's out there, and we have it so much more at our fingertips. That I'm actually going away a little bit from that idea of a sophomore slump. I think may get may get a sophomore slump more from the pitcher because sometimes the pitchers don't necessarily if they do well the first year they don't really try to do too much in the offseason to try to tinker with what they're doing. So the leagues tend to you know change. And, and catch up to the pitcher and as opposed to the pitcher changing and, and improving. What do you think about that?
2: Yeah, it's almost like a, a big chess game, so to speak, big mental game because, yeah, let, let's say a pitcher absolutely dominates and really impresses their first year. You know, obviously hitters are going to, you know, and teams are going to look, all right, what is he throwing in certain counts? How is he attacking righties versus lefties? And they'll have a, a new game plan to face him the next season. But if the pitcher's dominating, like, like you were saying – you know, maybe he's like, all right, no, I've been doing really well. So why, you know, why fix what's not broken, so to speak? But at the same time, they always got to be thinking ahead. Like, all right, they're going to make adjustments. So how do I you know, make sure that I can keep dominating? So, yeah, it definitely is. like Baseball is, I think, the most mental, make, mentally simulated game out there with how, you know, obviously that the hitter versus pitcher dynamic that you don't get in, in other sports. So, yeah, I, I definitely think there's a lot of that that goes into it.
0: Want to ask a question about skills? Um, you know, we, we talked a little earlier about you know, whether um, prospects that are speed oriented versus power pan out more. What do you think is the skill that's translatable the most? Um, that, that for, for hitters, uh, when they come up, that, okay, they've had this skill, that translates the most. Is it a walk rate, a strikeout rate, a, a power, whatever it is? Uh, and what is the skill for pitchers? Is it command, control, uh, strikeout ability? Um, well, what do you think is the, is the most repeatable from minors to majors that translates the best for both hitters and pitchers?
2: I think the the approach for hitters the approach for sure, and that's something I you know look at at all levels. You know even way down in in the deepest parts of the minor leagues, down in the Dominican Summer League and the complex level, where you know it's hard to take numbers you know too seriously because you know especially with hitters that get off to the hot starts because the quality of pitching down there isn't the greatest. But one thing that you can really you know tell at any level, you know regardless of how high or how low they are, how young or how old they are. Is the approach? Is this guy willing to work the count, you know, hunt out pitches to drive, not swing and miss outside of the zone? Um, so approach really, you know, it is translatable across any level, especially when a prospect goes from the from the minors to the majors. If that's something that if if they have it, they have it, and obviously that's it's not an exact science, but yeah, you know, i I've, I've kind of seen that a lot of those guys that showcase that they can draw walks at a high clip, keep the K rate in check that does translate you know, a bit more. And I think, I think power does uh, to a certain degree as well. You know, we've seen, you know, we have a lot more data at our disposal now, even in the minor leagues. And, you know, we get more and more of that every single year. So we, we see, you know, which guys are hitting the ball hard in, in the minor leagues. And I think that that is starting to translate over pretty frequently as well with, with pitching. Yeah. It's, Again, it's, it's a lot of the, the unsexy tools that, that translate more consistently. You know, it's the same thing, like like I mentioned, with hitters, you know, with pitchers, the guys that can, can command the ball well usually have pretty good careers or hit the ground running more consistently than these guys that have great stuff. And yeah, they can strike out, you know, 30 plus percent of batters, but if they're walking 13, 14 percent of them, like, you know, again, I go back to DL Hall with Baltimore. You know, it's going to take them a lot lot longer to kind of get their footing at the major league level. But if if guys are able to, you know, keep the walk rate in check, you know, and at the same time, then then you get the studs that do that and miss bats like Yuri Perez, for example, and and guys that can get ground balls, um, kind of like that combination. That's the kind of the winning recipe for for young pitchers.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess you know your answer for pitcher is sort of uh, it's the combo, it's the K minus BB, right? What I always tell yeah, people, exactly. yeah, I always tell, tell people that if you want a very very quick stat that tells you how is doing, look at K minus BB. Obviously, that's that's a combination of stats, right? That strike is, and yep. walk rate. It's the relationship,
2: right? Yeah, and I think it's absolutely important. And I remember an episode of uh, Rates and Barrels. I think Eno um, took that. They, they're doing this. Uh, I think this is like drafting pitching metrics. And I'm pretty sure, if I remember correctly, Eno took K-walk minus rate first overall. It was either first or second. And I think the other one that was first or second was uh, CSW, uh, which is another kind of combo stat. But, yeah, K-walk minus rate can tell you so much. Can a guy get gut, strike batters out? Can he limit the walk rate? Yeah, that's a great combo to have for sure.
0: I mean, isn't that cheating to say I'm going to take a stat and you get, take a combo stat, right? <laughs> I mean I mean kind of, yeah. <laughs> A little bit sort of. Sort of. Um uh, one last strategy question before we get to players is um you know I, I I think it maybe it's different this year or not, but do you think that there are m- more playing time possibilities for the prospects for the bottom teams for the top teams teams in the middle or is there no difference like i feel like this year the better teams are bringing up their players more i know that you know on the crappier teams the prospects obviously can get a better chance cuz there's nobody blocking them do you think there's any difference in terms of the rate of prospects coming up or you know in in, in better terms the playing time allocated to prospects between whether it's a competing team or not competing team
2: I think there used to be uh, a bigger gap in, in this, and I think definitely the, the teams that were contending would obviously have more, you know more of an incentive to bring these players up, especially like the, the lower market teams uh, that weren't performing well. You know, I'll just throw Pittsburgh out there as an example. Didn't really have much of an incentive, you know, a handful of years ago to bring up their top prospects when they can just wait, you know, until the following year get the extra year of control, which obviously is huge for these small market teams that don't have you know the, the payrolls like. The, you know the red Sox, the mets the yankees the dodgers have that they can you know be afford to sign these guys once they get free agency you know, in their age 26 27 28 seasons but now with the you know incentives that there are out there these days especially you know the last year or two i think you've seen a lot of teams you know and we've seen even some double a to the majors skipping triple a uh, promotions a lot more than we used to there's definitely been a bigger influx and I think you're seeing that now. Well, it used to be more so that the top teams, the contending teams, now you're seeing even some of the, the lower teams in the league do the same thing. So I think that's kind of, uh, you know, kind of evening out uh, this year, so to speak.
1: Move anything to add? Yeah, I, I think, Eric, you, you hit it on the head. I think teams are also. Are trying to draw more fans, and because there are more teams that make the playoffs, because more teams are "quote unquote" in it, if they think they're borderline, they think a, a certain prospect will put them over the top, like such as the de la Cruz. They saw that the 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 uh, National League Central was just everyone was just floundering. You put a dynamic player into their into that into that division, and all of a sudden, boom, they win a whole bunch of games in a row. There's excitement around the team. They're selling out the gas selling out the stadium. If more owners would see that, see the fact that the stadiums are getting sold out because not one player, but because the whole team rallies around that prospect or something like that more of these guys will be up a lot sooner and you won't have to worry about teams worrying about managing the years that they have and I think that's going to go a long way and I think because Elias Cruz has done has performed the way he has and has been a guideline of how teams should use their top prospects I think that more teams will be more open to bring up their top, top prospect a little sooner than they want to just because it brings in money.
2: Absolutely. And you made a great point there that there are more teams in the mix these days. Obviously, you know, we go back, you know, I don't remember what year they started adding to the, the postseason mix. But, you know, back when it was, out, you know, the four-team format, which we had for so many years, you know, look, look at the American League right now. I just pulled up, pulled up the standings. If it was the old four-team format, you know, obviously the Rays are kind of doing obviously very well in the East. You have the, whoever wins the Central, which is a terrible division this year. And then the Rangers are five games up in the West. And then the wild card would be Baltimore. But Baltimore, after them, the next wild card team would be, I think, Houston. And they are six and a half games behind Baltimore. So that's not really much of a, you know, that's not insurmountable by any means. But with the added play, uh, postseason teams, now you got the Yankees are still in it. The Blue Jays, even the Red Sox are still in oh, it. Oh, yeah. And the the Astros, Angels, Seattle. Yeah. So we, we have another six seven teams that are in it and yeah it gives them the extra sense of like, hey let's bring up like you mentioned cincinnati great because yeah, that division also both central divisions are really kind of you know underwhelming this year but you know cardinals have been a, a dumpster fire you know the cubs have underwhelmed the brewers are kind of okay but the, yeah, Cincinnati's like, hey, we actually have a shot. I don't think anybody kind of saw that coming before the season. We have a shot. We have all this young talent. Let's bring up Matt McClain. Let's bring up Andrew Abbott. Let's bring up Ellie De La Cruz. And they still got Christian and strand kind of waiting in the wings as well. So, yeah, absolutely. The added incentive to bring up these guys and, you know, the extra the extra wild cards is making it a, a lot more fun in terms of young players getting called up. Yeah. You know, it's
0: funny. Uh, we were talking last week on the show with Cody Decker and uh, you know, he. I asked him whether he thinks that the trade deadline is going to be more active or less active than usual. He said less active. It's interesting because, uh, with, you know, before you had the, the format, there was less teams in it. So there were fewer teams that were going to go for it who might try to acquire players. But, of course, there would be more teams that would try to sell because they, you know, they would be out of it. Now you have fewer teams who are just out out of it. There are more teams that are in it. Do you think that? With the new format, do you think that there's going to be a heightened trade market? Because hey, now if you're if you're the Reds, like you know, you, you could you could trade for somebody. It, it will help you this year, uh, as opposed to a couple years ago. Maybe uh, you know, a team that was just on the cusp maybe wouldn't. But of course, now you don't have as many teams that are out of it, and there's less sellers. I guess. What do you think is going to happen the trade deadline? More or less volume.
2: I would lean. I don't think it'll be drastically less, but I do lean a little less just for those points you brought up that there's more teams that are that are still in it as of now, and yeah, that could change. Uh, we took a you know a little over a month here until the trade deadline, so that absolutely could change. But you look at like the National League, the only teams that are I'd say are 100% out of it are Colorado and Washington, They're third and fourth worst teams in the NL. are Actually, St. Louis and the Mets, who, who saw that coming, but you know, I don't think up. anybody thinks.
0: Do you remember uh, the Simpsons episode where the Springfield Isotopes, you know, they they throw one pitch and they say, well, the season's over, folks. Yeah. I feel like for for the Rockies, uh, like, you know, the season was over, the first pitch. Oh, absolutely. No
2: hope. Yeah, I (laughs) know. Absolutely. Yeah, I definitely can see that for sure. But, yeah, there's really only two teams out in in the NL that are out of it. And and you look in the American League, you know, kind of, again, only two teams because – now, obviously, you can't see in Oakland have been out of it for, for a while now, and they're on pace for like 120 losses. But even like the third and fourth worst teams are Chicago and Detroit, but there's still only a handful of teams out of, of the Central. So, yeah, I think the fact that there's really only a handful of teams that are really out of it, and yeah, you'll probably add a couple more over the next month. But the fact that there are less teams out of it right now, you know, less teams to sell, and then— what does Oakland have to sell that anybody wants right now? What, Tony Kemp? So, uh, yeah, I definitely think there'll be, be a—I don't think it will be a dead deadline, but I think it'll be a little less active than we've seen in previous years.
0: Hey, Ruvain, we saw the Mets trade Eduardo Escobar. Now, I know the Mets have a logjam at third, so we understand that. Um, do, do you think the Mets are sellers?
1: I said last week that I think they'll be sellers, and literally the day after the podcast came out, they they sold on Eduardo Escobar. <laughs> I think that was more of like you said, mentioned, a log jam. They wanted to get Brett Beatty more at bats, but um, I I do think they are going to end up being sellers because they haven't proven over an extended period of time that they can get back into it, and there are so many teams that they have to frog jump and and leap over to get back into this into the, into the well the division I think is, is gone but even in the wild card they're behind the Phillies the Marlins don't like look like they're stopping anytime soon as long as you know they don't have to shut down some of their starting pitchers which is a little bit concerning even Sandy Alcantara uh threw uh gave up only one run in his start tonight so if he if he turns it around can you imagine how good the Marlins are gonna be
0: yeah so let's talk a little bit about a couple of specific prospects that came up, and we'll get into a little bit of discussion about quest-benefit analysis. But first, it's the Injury Guru's Trivia of the Week.
1: So now we're going to start talking about some of the individual players having to deal with prospects. And one of the players that we have to talk about, obviously, is Ellie De La Cruz. Ellie De La Cruz has come to the majors. He's... He ready hit for the cycle. He's shown flashes of speed. He's turned around the Reds team, moved them all the way into into playoff contention. So my question, my trivia question for this week is: What percentage of leagues in NFBC was Ellie Dela Cruz owned before he was picked up? Before he was uh, brought up by the Reds, and what was his preseason ADP? Eric, what do you think?
2: Yeah, you're really testing my memory on, on this one. I will say, I feel like he was in like the 350 range, of, and then I'll say uh, for ADP, and then for percent rostered, I mean, it couldn't have been too high. I don't think that many teams are drafting him uh, back in preseason, so I'll, I'll say like 12% or so.
0: No, nah, it's going to be later. Yeah, I'm going to say like ADP 450 maybe, and 3, 3% of rosters.
1: Well, his ADP from January 1st to April 1st, which is drafting season, was 554. And that's overall, that's in all of NFBC. And the same goes for when he was called up. 51% of NFBC teams, not just short bench teams, but regular teams, owned Elliot N- De La Cruz before he was called up. So this question the question here is Eric, is it cost benefit? Wait, there is wait, cost-
0: wait 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 Hold on a second. If if it's if if he's only fifty one percent, that's got to be all for the draft champion leagues, right? There's, it's got to be like ninety five percent draft champion and like three percent main.
1: And you you could you could say that, but well, listen, we drafted an NFBC team, and in our NFBC league, he was drafted already. Oh yeah, you're he, he, right. he was you're he right. was drafted right. preseason, so is it, it's, it's not just every NFP league, but this is just this is, I'm saying in general, is it is there a cost benefit to having someone on your roster who you don't know when he's gonna come up or if he's gonna come up let's say July and August or at least you think he's gonna come up July and August?
2: Yeah, that that definitely is something that I, I've kind of shied away from more and more is going after these these young guys, both both in draft and fab, because I think it's it's just overall a losing bet for the for the most part. You know, back in you know, to answer your question in draft season, you know, if I think a guy that like Ellie de the Cruz that could have a massive ROI once he comes up, and if I think he's gonna be up in like let's say May, then yeah, even you know, a league that has like seven bench spots or so, I'd be okay with taking a guy like that. that I think the you know, impact potential is there. But even sticking with Ellie, you know, before the season, I think the you know notion was all right, he's probably gonna be up in you know just after the all-star break, like July, August, something like that, and we got him, you know, a month or two ahead of schedule, uh, which, you know, sometimes happens when the guy's this good uh, and and putting up the numbers he was putting up in in the upper levels of the minor leagues. So, you know, but going back to, you know, thinking July-August time frame, you know, seven bench spots, that's, that's risky. Even with a guy with as much potential, like we're talking Acuna levels potential here that De La Cruz has, that's just a hard, you know, pill to swallow when you only have six seven bench spots and especially these days when injuries are you know bountiful and even more so every single year you gotta have that flexibility so it's it's hard to have that dead bench spot where a you don't have that flexibility and b you're just not getting the stats that you would have gotten from another player that you can you can plug in certain weeks depending on on matchups or you know who's who's healthy during that particular week so yeah, it definitely has become more of a risky thing. But then again, if you wait till Fab, we see all these top prospects go for so much in Fab. And we saw that, you know, prime example of that is back in the month of May when we had like, it was like back-to-back-to-back to back to back weeks and we had all these, you know, top pitching prospects that caught up. Uh, you know, Tanner Bybee, I'll use him as an example. He was going for, you know, triple triple digits in, in Fab. So you're spending 10, 15, sometimes even 20% or more on on these prospects, and yeah, every now and then you get a guy that, you know, like the the Acuna's and the Soto's and Tatis's that that pan out, and that's a positive one. But more often than not, you're probably losing money on that, and you could have used that hundred and whatever dollars on, you know, a few guys over the course of the season. So I think it's just a really tough thing to do um, on both sides. That's why I've kind of shied away from, you know, both drafting and – you know, going after these, these rookies in you know, when they come up in, in the Fabapalooza because again, more often than not, you're gonna, you know, lose out a little bit on it.
1: But doesn't NFPC make a little bit of a difference? Because if you don't draft them in, dr- during draft season, they're not available until they're called up. Does that change your strategy at all? Because I know most leagues, CBS, Yahoo, a lot of these players are eligible. You can get them if they're in the minor leagues or right. part of the system. But NF- if you're playing in NFPC and you're not in a draft and holder or, or a league like that, if you don't draft them during draft season, then he will come up and every- there will be the... F- so is there more of a benefit or more of a... you know Is it better to try to do it in an NFPC league?
2: Maybe I mean yeah, in, in you know, league, you know, Fantrax and CBS and Yahoo and and you know whatever uh, other platform, yeah, you, there's where well, you can kind of get them at a cheaper cost. Like, all right, you think oh they're they're gonna be up in a couple of weeks? It's it, you know that time is approaching. Then yeah, you can you can kind of sneak sneak in there with you know twenty dollar whatever whatever it is, uh, you know two three percent fab bit as opposed to ten fifteen twenty or even like for Ellie the cruise, like you're talking 35 40 plus percent in some instances so yeah in those formats where you know non non-nfPC where you can still pick up these guys whenever um, and don't have to wait until they are they're called up so yeah there definitely is a different approach there
0: yeah I mean if, if you can fab a guy for a dollar the first week, Obviously, you know that, that that that's a low enough investment that you can get away like if, if Ellie del Cruz wasn't drafted the first week, you could have gotten for a dollar in you know in another league and NFBC, a little bit different you would have had to to pay for him, so it makes a difference. But I think the question is in terms of draft capital, you know I remember when Chris Bryant came up, you know you had to pay like seven eight dollars for him at the auction, and he turned out to be a fantastic player. It was a good buy to do, and people stashed him, but we knew he was coming up like a month to go question is what is the borderline of in terms of time that they're going to come up? Is it super two? Is it right? after? Is it has to be in May has to be before July? And, and what level does it have to be? Is it a potential second, third rounder? Is it a fifth, sixth rounder? There's there's some balance of time to call up and upside of what they're going to do as to whether it's worth a draft slot or not. I know Reuven and I, we won one NFPC auction one year, and we drafted Trey Turner. He didn't come up till the second half, but that won us the league. So we were very happy with that return. What, what's your take on the balance of time and uh, upside for what you would draft, Eric?
2: Yeah, that's kind of a tough one to give a concrete answer on, but very you know, general kinda, question, of course. <laughs> yeah, I I, I kind of feel like for me, it's like the two month mark. Like if I don't, if I think it's gonna be like July or later, even so, so if it's if I think they're gonna be up in June, I'm like, all right. If it's a guy that could be, you know, a top, you know, thirty, top forty player, and they're gonna be probably up in June, all right, that I can, I can definitely get behind. But if I'm thinking like, ah, oh, this guy could be top one hundred you know, overall player, and he's not do up till you know July, that's kind of where I'm like, all right. I mean, yeah, maybe they could be be impactful down the stretch, but that's kind of where I draw the line. I'm like, all right, I'm not gonna, you know, wait. For for that, you know, t- that time frame for them to come up.
0: Okay, Now fair question. Um, in terms of trading, how do you evaluate trades in keeper leagues? Right, you, I'm sure you play a lot of Keeper Dynasty. I, I know you do. Um, how do. How do you evaluate it? Because you know, there's different time frames involved, right? You know, you might be saying, "Well, this player is a much big, bigger benefit this year," but you know i'm giving up a lot of up sorry the future but i'm going for it this year like how, how do you do the cost benefit analysis of trading keeper leagues in terms of this disparity of talent this year versus disparity of talent over the next couple years
2: yeah that's that's a great question and that's something i think that every person in the place dynasty you know has, tries to find that blend of all right you know, I'm second or third, or maybe I'm even, I'm in, in the lead and I want to hold on to that lead and I want to get a couple of win now pieces, but not sacrifice too much of the future. That is a very tough blend. And I don't think any one of us, even people that have been playing dynasty for decades, you know, can say that they've mastered that, but at the same time, you know, the whole saying flags fly forever. Right. So if I'm able to, all right, you know, if I'm thinking long-term, this might be, you know, a, a, little bit of, a, of an L right this may be a little bit of a loss long term but definitely you know short term this is the piece I need like I'm willing to sacrifice a little bit long term to get what I need this year but if I'm thinking like oh man I'm probably really going to regret this like if I if I have that already have that that FOMO so to speak of like oh if I get rid of you know this player or these two three players you know and they turn out to really be something and. Uh, if there's that deal already in your mind then all right that's maybe something you should look a different avenue in terms of or a different person to trade with a uh, different combination of players but if it's something we're like all right yeah yeah this this might suck a little bit long term but uh, this is really going to help me now and then yeah th- that's something that I'm willing to take that slight L in the long term as opposed to getting the piece that's a, a bigger W in the short term how do you do that ruvain
1: that's it's very tough. It you it, you have to try to make sure you have to see first of all what you what you plan on doing this year and what you plan on doing for future years. If you think your team is still at the top and you think you're going to win your league or very close to the league and you want to put yourself over the top, then I think it's worth it to overspend even a little bit on those league, on, in that type of league because you don't know how long you're going to be on top injuries happen. And I think if you're going to go for it, you just have to go, sometimes you have to go all in. And I think there's no harm in doing that. But if you do that, then you're sacrificing a couple years down the road. And, you know, it's, it's a matter of, of what you think, how well, you know, the prospects, what you, if you've had a guy, you, let's say it's a dynasty you drafted him right away let's say it's a, a drew jones and you drafted him very you know you want him on your team you want to make sure you have him you want to have him for a, for a couple of years and you're going to say you know what if i if i maybe i could trade uh, drew jones and maybe get like a, a high-end volume pitcher like a, let's say a garrett cole or, or something like that just because you want to win this year is there anything wrong with that no but you are sacrificing and sometimes you're better off just finishing maybe in the top three and holding on to those prospects as opposed to doing a trade
0: so uh, one thing that I do want to talk with you about Eric and I don't know if I call it a pet peeve of dynasty uh, rankings or not but to me when when people put out these dynasty rankings I don't understand them in the sense that it's one list oh here's our dynasty rankings and Julio Rodriguez is here and uh, we'll put Gunnar Henderson here and I, I isn't when you play dynasty isn't the time frame that you're going to win matter? Like if I'm in it for the next two years or if I'm rebuilding and I'm planning for four years, shouldn't there be a different time horizon? Like I, I, I kind of think that there should be multiple rankings tailored to short, medium, and long-term rankings. And also the other question I have is, um, you know, when, when I, when I see rankings in general, just redraft rankings, I, I, I always want to have a dollar assigned to them. Like I I never go off of straight rankings when I'm drafting. I go off of some dollar a component. You know, there's some auction value or auction value equivalent so I can compare. All right, well, how much is the 10th player worth versus the 20th player? Oh, it's 10% more, 20% more, right? I, I want to compare numbers. Do you know of any sources of of getting that dollar generated for dynasty rankings, like I, I haven't seen it. Maybe you know. Maybe I maybe I just don't know the source. And and uh, the first question I asked again is, you know, why aren't there multiple time frames uh, presented to to the public?
2: Yeah, no, that, that's a great question. Obviously, I know Ian Kahn used to do his his win now and win later dynasty rankings, and and that's a great great tool. But, and also, I think there's all a benefit to. I think there's a benefit to doing it both ways. I like, got. I don't think there's one right or wrong way to do it. Because you know, with me, how I at least how I structure my rankings is, you know, if you you know, it can help out both teams that are maybe looking to make that push now or make the push later, and they maybe they have some some prospects. So like, well, let's take, like, you know, Ruvain brought up Drew Jones. All right, so that's why like I try to put them where I think their value is. So maybe. You know, a win-now piece, you know, maybe, uh, I don't know, first name comes from Max Muncie from the Dodgers. Let's say Drew Jones and Max Muncie are pretty close in rankings, and I'm not even sure if they are my rankings, but I'm using this example. Uh, that's who I thought of. You are know, like, all right, that's who I should be going after. You know, if I'm looking to trade some prospect chips for some win-now capital— these like this is the kind of range of players that i probably should be looking for and that's where the the discussion should start and obviously you never know um how the player person you're trading with is going to value their players but that's kind of how i focus mine but there also absolutely is that benefit of all right you know if i'm looking to win now you know like like freddie freeman i think is a great example in a you know win now dynasty rankings freeman's a top 10 guy he's been a first-round guy forever now you know in a win later ranking you know set set of rankings where he's I think he's 34 now i want to say you know maybe he's more like in the 25 30 to 40 range because he's he's a bit older and you know and he has you know another handful of years of, of high level production so i think there's benefits to doing it both ways for me personally the the, the dollar amount thing i've always struggled a bit especially in, in dynasty formats i've never admittedly never been a great like you know dollar value you know you know guy uh, in dynasty rankings, I know uh, my you know, buddy and co-host Chris Clegg from the Toolship Podcast over on on his um, Substack Dynasty Dugout. He's just de- developed a, a kind of a trade calculator of sorts uh, that has some dynasty like dollar value projections on there. It's a great tool, so I'd recommend that. That's the, that's the only thing I know of right now. Um, but yeah, it's definitely you know I, I think there's benefits to, ha- to having the rankings both ways for sure.
0: Yeah, no, I may mean, I'll check out that tool cuz you know, if, if I'm playing Dynasty and I want to know what to trade. Well, okay, I am I'm, I'm trying to trade in I want this time horizon this year next year. My buddy is uh, if, you know, rebuilding it 3 4 years from now. Well, what what looks like the better bargain in terms of dollar wise now with the combination two players and what looks like the better bargain later and you know, see if we can match it that way. But I, I, I get how you you do it. You know, when you have a whole dynasty ranking. Well, if Freeman ranks somewhere near somebody else, oh, that's the start of a trade ship conversation. And obviously, people can go up and down for uh, up and down from that. Um, all right. So, want to just uh, almost conclude with uh, just some top prospects, and uh, I mean, you can go on for hours for this, obviously. But uh, maybe Eric, you can just uh, tell the audience here some of the top prospects we should be looking at, who are going to be called up soon maybe this year, maybe at the start of next year, uh, if you know what the timeline are, some of the uh, you know upside and all that. Uh, why don't you just tell us some of the top prospects we should know about?
2: Yeah, and I, first off, I'll mention I, I do an article every Tuesday on Roto Baller, the top 25 prospects of Stash. I just put another one out today, uh, so go check that out. Uh, a lot of these guys I, I discuss every week. Uh, so right now, the next two, obviously, we just got Jordan Westberg, who will be uh, in this upcoming Sunday's Fabapalooza for uh, NFBC, but he's the latest one to get the call. And so there's really two, uh, we'll say three big names left that you know have that really big impact potential that should be up soon. And that's Christian Encarnacion-Strand, corner infielder from the Reds, Colton Kowser, outfielder from Baltimore, and Ronnie Mauricio, middle infielder for the New York Mets. And, you know, none of these guys really have a, you know, carved out path to playing time. And they, they've been moving and, strand, and, and connecting the strand around a bit in Triple in a a little bit of outfield as well. So that shows me they're trying to get his bat into the lineup sooner rather than later. Kowser is probably waiting for a Hicks injury or... Him to fall off. He's actually been kind of decent. <laughs> I think he's hitting near 300 since they acquired him. So that kind of Amazing, threw a monkey. Right? Yeah, that kind of threw a monkey wrench into the whole uh, Colton Kowser plans. But um, and then Mauricio, they you know he's been playing a little bit of second base as well. So these are like the three big guys that I think can come up uh, and make a pretty, a pretty sizable impact this year. I think Grayson Rodriguez uh, is back at some point this year. Again, he, like I mentioned earlier, he's looked a lot better uh, in Triple A since being sent back down. So I think maybe, and you know, then with Baltimore, again, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about early in the show. Baltimore is in very much in the hunt, and, you know, I think they're actually leading the wild card hunt right now. So bringing up a guy like Grayson Rodriguez, even though his first, what was it, eight, nine starts, whatever it was, weren't the greatest. This is still a guy that could be an impact arm and has shown that. He was a top prospect for a reason so imagine adding that arm down the stretch you know you, it's a impact guy that you don't have to trade for you can just you know bring him up from AAA so uh, he, that's another one uh, those are really the only big one there there's some other names that could be up that could make an impact but that's like uh, the big 3 or 4 um next year though we, we could have another wave uh, kind of some of the top names so maybe another one actually another one for this year maybe Kyle Manzardo uh, first first base prospect for the Tampa Bay Rays, but there's just no spot for him. Uh, Yandi Diaz is, is hitting well, and it's not like Manzaro can like move around. The, he's a first base guy, so uh, maybe we get Manzardo, but there's no real path for him right now. But potential big impact bat, you know, next year some of the top names that you know, have that huge impact potential that are probably up early, you know, to the middle of the season. We could see Jackson Holliday, another Baltimore Oriole. The endless supply there, it seems. Um, he's you know one of the top two or three prospects in the game right now. Um, as, that's Matt Holiday's son. If you want to feel old um, right now, as as I do. Uh, we also have Jordan Lawler, uh, shortstop prospect for Arizona. Uh, big power. It's like a you know twenty home run, twenty five steal type of guy. Uh, he's probably up you know first half of um, next year as well. Uh, another couple: Novi Marte, infielder for the Cincinnati Reds, probably up early next year. Um, maybe we see you know Andrew Painter, Ricky Tiedemann, two guys that we thought would be up by now, but both have gotten hurt. So uh, those are like the two gem arms that are kind of left in, in the minor leagues right now that are probably due up. You know, all depends on how the rehab goes uh, for each of them. But yeah, those are two names that could hit the ground running and you know pitch just like Yuri has and be that huge impact arm right off the bat. So yeah, they, those are all the names I'm looking for. You know, later this year and then early next year.
0: No, thanks for that. Um. You know, you just triggered a memory, uh, Matt Holliday with Fantasy, and uh, I remember playing in a league, and the Rockies played a game 163 that year. I can't even remember who it was against. Maybe the Padres. And uh, it was the last inning, or maybe even extra innings, and Matt Holiday scored on a sack fly uh, the very last play of the game. And, you know, a lot of, or most fantasy leagues, if it goes to the extra game 163, that game counts in the standings. And I remember one guy was going to win after 162, that's it. But he needed, the other the, the person in second place, in order to overtake him, had to have some Matt Holiday do something, somebody else doing something, and it just happened that everything that could go right for that second-place team went right, and on the very last play of the game, won the league of that season on Matt Holiday, scooting home from third base, so... Um. yeah <laughs> exciting fantasy
2: moment I remember
1: well Eric what about the other Jackson Jackson Chirio is he going to come up this year or is he going to be coming up next year
2: I think he he's more so next year obviously he he got up to triple double uh, A excuse me very quickly he was up there as 18 year old last year and, and you know he's been okay this year hasn't been as you know as productive as he was last year obviously the the talent is immense like this is a guy that could be a top you know two or three round fantasy player down the road but Still, you know, a bit aggressive. Still has to refine his approach. And on top of that, there's just so many outfielders ahead of him already in the depth chart. Even with Mitchell being out for the year, I mean, they still got Sal Frelick that just came back from injury recently. That's a very polished bat. That he's probably up second half of the year. Could be like a almost like a Nico Horner type of player there. So I don't think they they rush him this year with, with just with all the other options. If, if they were just bare bones in the outfield, up you know maybe, but. Fact that he's, you know, still showing that he has some refinement, some development left before he's, you know, ready for the major leagues. Plus all the other options they have, I think he's probably more like we're probably looking at around this time next year. Maybe he gives up the AAA for a cup of coffee end of this year, starts the AAA next year, and maybe you know May June or so. We're talking about Churio coming up next year.
0: By the way. Eric, how did you get into doing prospects for, for the industry? Is that something that you always liked and you followed and you started writing, or did someone like ask you in the industry to follow and write some articles?
2: No, Yeah, so I think it all stemmed from just going to so many minor league games as a kid and you know through my teenage years. and uh, even Obviously now I still go to a ton just because I have a minor league ballpark 15 minutes from my house, and I've always kind of been right around that, that ballpark, so just going to so many games – as a kid and just falling in love with kind of seeing the next stars. Like that's, that's one thing I love about the minor leagues in baseball is that you don't get in, for the most part, you get a little bit in hockey, but you don't really get like that. Oh, you see the next star. Cause a lot of these guys in like football and basketball, they go right to the, to the pros. Right. So like I remember seeing like Hanley handling Ramirez come through back when, uh, Portland, Maine, was still affiliated with the Marlins back, you know, almost twenty years ago now. And seeing them, seeing Dustin Pedroia come through, and just all these really talented players, like, all right, this is kind of fun. Like seeing like the the next wave of, you know, the guys that are gonna be, you know, making an impact, making All Star games, winning the MVPs in the major leagues. So that kind of piqued my interest. So when I started at Fan Tracks back in twenty seventeen, I kind of gravitated towards that. And at that time, they had just started their the content side so it was kind of a kind of a clean slate that you know you could kind of really do uh, go a lot of different areas i kind of gravitated towards that i kind of took the reins on that and, and never looked back amazing
0: all right moving uh injury report time uh what say you
1: Okay, well, we'll start with Aaron Judge, even though I spoke about him even a couple days ago the last podcast, but Aaron Judge has admitted that he has a torn ligament in his toe. That does not change the timeline for his return. He's been out for a while already, and he's going to be out for a while, probably, my guess is probably until August. That's my guess, but I think probably until August. The Yankees kept mum on this because they didn't want to actually say that Judge had a torn ligament because the Yankee Nation would have gone crazy and everyone would have gone crazy and everything like that, which they're doing already after the new came out but hearing that he has a torn ligament in his toe does not change the timeline at all so if he was going to be out until august he's going to be out it's going to be out until july he'll be out but he's definitely out for the next foreseeable future Two other people, since I'm mentioning August, are going to be out until August. That's what they're saying. Uh, Nick Lodolo, we've mentioned before in, in, in prior podcasts that he has an issue with his tibia. These Reds weren't expecting him back until at least late August. And now Hunter Green could be out until August because he's getting a second opinion on his right hip. And the Reds said right now they're not counting on him until August. So that's something to watch for. Another pitcher who was shut down, Marco Gonzalez. He was shut down with a nerve issue in his elbow. He he was throwing and he stopped, he was throwing and he stopped. He's been out since June 3rd with a forearm flex restraint, but now he's out for a while. Chris Taylor is on the IL because he has a bone bruise in his right knee. It's not that his bone bruise got worse, but it hasn't improved. So the doctors want to be extra safe, so they put him on the IL matt boyd he can't seem to catch a break he was placed on the 60 day il and he needs tommy john surgery he dealt with the same elbow issue back in 2022 was had a triceps issue biceps issues going all over the place and now it's gone down to the tommy john surgery so that's you know you can i don't think you can count on him for the rest of this year at all and maybe even most of next year now i'm going to try to end on some positive news again because i try to. In the positive injury news, Salvador Perez had an eye procedure done on uh, yesterday, actually, because he had lingering vision issues. It's not as bad as it sounds because he had something done similar to this before, and he was actually available to pinch hit. So even though he had this procedure done, it should just help his vision, and he should be good to go, hopefully, by the end of the week.
0: And we got a lot of Sal Perez uh, shares this year. Uh, just, I, I thought some of those top catchers were just good investments, so... Uh hopefully Sal Perez will come back to our team soon. And there you go. Hopefully. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much, Eric, for coming on the show. Uh, great informative podcast. Really appreciate you giving your time and always enjoy having you on the show. Why don't you just tell everybody uh, what's uh, going on and all things Eric Cross?
2: Yeah. Always enjoy coming on and chatting with you guys. Thanks again for having me on. It's always, always a blast. Uh, yeah, i got got a lot of stuff going on right now. Very busy. I do two articles a week at Roto Baller. Uh, at least two sometimes i squeeze a third one in there depending on what else i got going on but again i do the top 25 prospects the stash every tuesday and then later on in the end of the the week you know usually thursday sometimes friday do just dynasty news and notes kind of like a you know mining the news on Jeff Zimmerman but more dynasty focused you know talking about you know trending dynasty names you know prospects as well some of this, the the buzzy names and notable names in the dynasty world uh, so that's end, end of the week I on FTN every Sunday I do my weekly pitching planner which has top 100 pitching rankings for that particular week upcoming and I go over two start pitchers some you know matchup notes teams that are hitting well against lefties etc uh to go just everything you need to know but your to get your pitching squared away for that upcoming week and obviously I got my my Patreon as well doing all my rankings are over there do daily prospect write-ups a lot of other fun stuff there. And then the Toolshed Podcast with Chris Clegg, twice a week. He's going over everything Dynasty and project related So, yeah, a lot of fun stuff. The uh, The grind never stops.
0: Very hardworking guy, Eric Cross. There you have it. Uh, and great stuff. As uh, we mentioned, uh, former Baseball Writer of the Year. So, quality stuff. And great to have you on Rotobull this year. Uh, the three of us on the, sh- uh, on the show right now, we write for Rotobull. A great, great site. So, uh, awesome. Absolutely, absolutely is. Yeah. Ruvane, what about you?
1: You can follow me on Twitter at MLB Injury Guru where I tweet out injury updates as they come, next man up. And as you just mentioned, I do have an article weekly on Rotoballer discussing all the injuries, next man up, and who you should look for.
0: I'm Ariel Cohen. I ride over at Rotoballer, over at Fangraphs, I'm on Twitter at ATCNY, and of course on the Beat the Shift Podcast each and every week. All right. Well, thank you so much, Eric Cross, for coming on the show. Happy birthday to Ruvain and many more. Unbelievable. Uh thanks thanks for uh, doing a show on your birthday Ruvain. Wow.
1: No problem my pleasure.
0: Yeah. All right. And from all of us here at Beat the Shift, we'll see you next time.
1: Thanks for listening to the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangress. Follow us on Twitter at beat underscore shift underscore pod.